You busy? Mm-mm. Okay, let me run something past you real quick. The older or the wiser that I become, I am no longer a fan of accepting something at face value. I'm no longer in a place that someone can just say something and I just believe it. I do believe, maybe because I'm from New York, I do believe that doing so is a representation of being naive. And I had a few things that happened this week that I was just like, mm, I got to pick up the phone to share some things with you that are coming across as uh, life gems, if you will. So one of them, and it's excellent, I just I love the fact that I can pull something from the Bible and then something actually from a TV show that my husband and I have been watching. So you already know that I'm not a TV girl, right? So everything that I start to watch and I'm like, oh, this is a great show. I'm either super duper seasons behind or I'm late to the show. But nevertheless, I'm a part of the wave. You understand? But so the show that I'm referring to, which I'll speak to after um, I speak about the Bible verse, is Married at First Sight. This particular season, I think it was nine and it was in uh, North Carolina, Charlotte, to be exact. But put your finger on there for pause because I'm about to just go ahead and just pull from the Bible real quick. So I was reading the infamous verse, uh, Luke 22, and started at 31, where pretty much Peter was telling Jesus, like, yo, I'll go to bat for you. I'll do this, that, and the third. And then Jesus was like, sir, have a nice day because before the crow, <laughs> before the rooster crows three times, you're going to go ahead and deny your boy. But I wanted to take a different look at it because, again, I'm in this realm and stuff is opening up a little bit deeper. And I'm like, mm, I've never really seen it that way. So, again, Luke 22, verse 31. I wanted to jump right into it. So it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, 32. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. 33. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. 34. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. 35, then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have, you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied, but I want to go ahead and stop there because he's pretty much just letting them know, listen, just trying to prep them for what's getting ready to happen and y'all gonna go through some things, but don't worry about it. I will never send you out empty handed, that kind of thing, but I want to reverse back to the transaction between Peter and Jesus. Now we all look at Peter. If you know the story later on, he, you know, Jesus gets taken away and he's following alongside of them. And on three separate occasions, people were like, don't you, wasn't you one of the followers of Jesus? Peter was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Then somebody else happened. It was like, but you sound like him. And he was like, woman, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, he was starting to get a little bit more amp. Like, real talk, read the rest of Luke 22, and you'll start to see that. But I wanted to go back to that mindset because I think Peter gets a bad rap. Peter kind of, we, we look at it like, Peter, you hung with Jesus three years, sir. And the time that he needed you to stand strong, you went ahead and bucked at the knees like, no, I don't know him. Three times, though? 
Like, and then you started getting crunk. Like, no woman. It literally, he uses the word woman. No woman. I don't know him. And so I felt some kind of way because I was like, it can't be a heart thing. Because I know that the Bible says, especially in 1 Samuel, that God looks at the heart. So it couldn't have been a heart thing. Where did that denial come from in Peter? Because there had to be a love there. Because we know that once Jesus got taken away, Peter lifted up his sword and was like, cat, cat. <laughs> went ahead and, and chopped off the ear of the soldier. So we know that it's not a hard thing. So what happened? And this is what was revealed to me. Going back to Luke 22, the 33rd verse, Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. You know what I hear? I hear a man that was chosen by Jesus to be one of the disciples, didn't ask any questions and didn't give any, didn't even inquire, where am I going? Can I go back and tell my wife and them I'm not going to be back for this set time? Didn't give no lip. It was just like, follow you? Cool. N nothing else to be said. Oh, you're going to change my name from Peter, I mean from Simon to Peter? Cool. I ain't even going to give you no heat behind that. You want to go ahead and just be, you know, Social Security giving out different names and stuff? Listen, I could do that too. But get into the mindset that he followed Jesus for three years. Everything that Jesus wanted him to do, Peter was like, cool, because I'm following you. Jesus is walking on water. Everybody's scared. Peter's like, listen, if that's you, Lord, call me out. I, I'll come on there. Everything that Peter did, whether it was small, significant, whether it was bold acts of faith, whether it was, you know what, God, I've been sitting out on this boat all night. But if you come out here, Jesus, and say, go ahead and throw my net to the said direction that you said, even though I feel like, bro, I've been out here all night. But I'll go ahead and throw this particular net. If you say to do it, then I'll do it. If you on the water and you say to, and you called me and to tell me to come out here with you, I'll do it. If you say that my name is now going to be Peter, then my name is Peter. If you say come and follow me, then for three years I will follow you. Nothing else to be said. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you, which means that he said I can do anything as long as you're with me. But this tested him in the realm of what do you do when Jesus is no longer with you? What do you do when Jesus is no longer near you? What do you do when it's time to stand strong and be brave and now you have to go ahead and do all these miraculous things without Jesus in a close proximity anymore? What do you do? We have seen Peter do some amazing things in this thing called the Bible. Like I said, he took swords and was like, y'all not taking him. <laughs> y'all not taking him. Have a nice day. This is I've been following Buddy for three years, not without me. And he spoke exactly what he knew he would be able to do. I am ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. Meaning that, sir... The Bible says to have a humble assessment of self. And Buddy pretty much had a great assessment of himself. And the assessment is, I can do anything if you're with me. I, I will go to uncomfortable measures if you're with me. And I will, be, I will go back under six feet if you're with me. 
but he never, ever, ever had the chance to exercise. How do I convey this love and exercise it in a boldness when there's no longer a physical, tangible evidence of Jesus being with me? And I think that's why throughout the Bible, God says, for I am with you. I will never forsake you. I'm the beginning and the end. It is something about knowing that, God, you're with me that changes your stance. That you don't have to be afraid anymore. That you don't have to be fearful of what people will do to you, will say to you. What, you the outcome is never fearful when you know that God is with you. But put yourself in Peter's shoes. For the first time in three years, it was, what do I do when I'm scared and Jesus is not tangibly there? What do I do when my life, literally, speaking as Peter, is on the line and I can't turn and look at Jesus again? What do you do then? That made me start to think, are we starting to put too much on people too fast? Or are we judging them on something that they never had room to exercise? Because I asked myself, I said, where in the three years did he have room to go ahead and operate independently outside of being sent the two by two? But he still had a little bit of Jesus connection. He still has some a right hand man or two. As far as I read, when he was being questioned, like, aren't you with him? It felt like he was by himself. It felt like he was by himself. And I think the human aspect of when a person feels like, for lack of a better term, that their back is against the wall, sometimes you revert to what you know or just denying any part of being, being associated with anything. And I was like, man, I feel bad that his actions didn't reflect the true narrative of his heart, that he denied Jesus three times, but his heart didn't deny him that he didn't know what to say or what to do in that time space because he never had the space to exercise it it's not like he he was tested it's not like Jesus sent him real, real far away for a real, real long time you know for as long as we know we don't know exactly who said that time that Jesus went ahead and blessed the, the, the fish and the loaves we don't know who said listen yes you should send them away because we don't really we don't have enough to feed all these people. But every time there was a problem, guess what Peter was able to do? Bring it back to Jesus and say, I, I have no idea, bro. And then Jesus was able to give the, the directive. Go ahead and dip that cup in that water and, and pass it out. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and break, say this prayer real quick. Break off this fish. Break off this bread. Y'all keep passing it out until I say stop. Okay, what I want you to do, I know you've been out on that boat all night, Peter. Okay, I understand that you, you cleaned up your nets and you was getting ready to go. But I need you to go back in the deep. And I need you to go ahead and put it to the left. And this is what you're going to do. And, yeah, so now that that's what's happening. Also, I need you to go ahead and go down to this fish. Go all the way to the bottom. Get that fish. Open up the fish his mouth there was a coin give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar go ahead and pay your taxes sir also I need you to like Peter was a great assistant he was a great person who was able to follow direction but Peter was never tested on when his life is on the line when, when his livelihood reputation when his faith when his strength 
when all that is on the line, who do you go to? Because the one that was able to save you all this time, he's over there getting questioned on who he is, who what, what his identity really is. And so that made me think of the show that I told you I've been watching, The Married at First Sight. I noticed this one particular couple named Matt and Amber, O.M. Jizzle, just to give you a little bit of background. Matt Gwynn is a former professional NBA star. I don't know how far he made it. I want to look up his stats, but he irritated me to the point that I was like, no, thank you. Uh, Self-proclaimed, he said that he went overseas and played and did all that stuff. Okay, great. Now, if you don't know, real short snippet, Married at First Sight is a show where three experts from different backgrounds, sex expert, bishop, all those other psychological things that they do, come together and say, okay, we're going to interview this large sum of people, and from those we're going to pick three to four couples that we feel like match each other. We're going to do this in extensive uh, research. We're going to look into their likes and dislikes. We're going to comb their, their job and their apartments and everything that we can to make sure that when we're pairing these two people together, we're pairing them with the ingredients to have a successful marriage. And the only time that these two people know of the name or the description or anything of the other person they're going to marry is actually at the altar like literally it's like blind date but wedding style like oh I'm sorry you are okay and then we recite these vows and then we kiss and it's I do and then we're legally bound for eight weeks and they're going through the regular motions they're going on a honeymoon they're moving in together they're going on dates they're getting um from time to time some type of counseling sessions because the experts come in and check on them from time to time show them footage of how they're talking with each other and all these other different things and what was really and i'm sorry and then at the end of the eight weeks they decide if they want to stay together if they feel like "Mm, not so much and then they have to get a legal separation and the whole shabelle What was really interesting about Matt was he started the process a little shaky. Like, oh, okay. First, it was was, was strong in that he showed up at the altar. He signed up. He wanted to do it. They went on a honeymoon to Antigua. And then when it came back from the five-day honeymoon, mind you, this is an eight-week process, he came back and the house that, the apartment that they moved into, he was staying out all night. Like the timestamp literally shown that he was at the apartment at one thirty p.m. and Buddy didn't come back home to the next day in the afternoon. Wasn't answering her text, wasn't answering the phone, wasn't doing any of that. So the girl, Amber, that he's paired with, his legal wife, was crying and, and doing all that. And the expert came in and she's like, oh, no, she wanted to tear him a new one. And so fast forward all the way to the end, it turns out Buddy was super de duper cheating. Uh, people all around Charlotte, because Amber said that Charlotte was small. I don't know. But she, people were sending her screenshots. During the process, he's talking to different women. He was talking to women at bars and leaving with them. He was on sites talking to people. It was just like, are you serious? And the first thing that came into my mind, because they do give you know their background story. He said that he was on his own since he was 16, 
And that, you know, he's used to kind of like living out of a bag because he would be overseas for six months and then he'll come back home for six months. But he never really had a steady place of his own. So he would kind of just, you know, from post to post, just sleeping at people's houses. His family and him weren't tight and he didn't want his family to know. So none of his family even knew that he was married, let alone was at the wedding. So that was like red flag number 99.6. But the thing that kept ringing true to me at the end, seeing all the dirt that he did, I, I felt for Amber tremendously because I could see that she was really in it. But the one thing that kept I kept questioning was when I scanned the life of Matt, I didn't see any evidence of anyone who was able to do a thing, stay with a thing, and see it through. Even his profession is six months on, six months off. Even him saying he's not close to his family. He hasn't been close to them since 16. Now, listen, I get it. Dysfunctional families, all that, I get it. But you have to understand, he did not see commitment follow through. He only seen commitment follow through up until the age of 16. Then he says something else that his parents recently, after 29 years, 31 years, something to that effect, that they decided they no longer wanted to be together. And he was real angry about that. Like, why couldn't they push through? And so that's another layer of him not seeing commitment. Him living out of, of, of a bag where he was literally a suitcase child. Like, it was just like, I'm cool with just staying here with a suitcase and having all my belongings just zipped up in, at one time, him not having that thing of being able to plant roots and really commit to a thing. Now, as much as I wanted to throw tomatoes at my TV screen and go, how dare he? And I expected more. The first question that I had was, well, where did he show commitment anywhere else in his life? So he didn't see commitment that much in his parents. He chose not to see it in that they didn't keep their marriage together. He didn't see a parental commitment in that they didn't raise him all the way to, you know, his childhood. 16, you're not grown at 16. It ain't even someone, you can't even do a whole bunch at 16. You can't even vote, so have a nice day. Where was the commitment? Was he in long relationships? Did he, I always feel like, what did someone practice in order for you to feel safe to say, you know what, I trust you with this next phase in life? Where did someone, what did Matt practice consistency and commitment to the point that the experts or Amber would have trusted, I entrust you with the monogamous state of this marriage? Just like looking at Peter, where did Peter practice I can stand for Jesus on my own two feet, even if it requires me getting into something that makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but I can do that. Where did he practice that absent of Jesus? Not not an earshot away, not a, okay, well, we were in this the sea and we didn't catch anything, so I'm going to go back because Jesus is on shore. Do you see the parallel that I'm driving? In your own lives, in your own relationships, I want us to start asking that question, even with yourself. Like, okay, you deal with certain people at your job and you're just like, bruh, I am so over it. Such and such is irritating me. I don't know how much more I can take. You have to start asking yourself, where in your life have you learned to deal with difficult people, push through on it, and come on the other side of, I know how to deal with your kind. 
in a relationship when people are not being their best and not, they're not giving you your best. And can I just say this? I want us all to stop being in relationships where all we are are dumping grounds for somebody else's previous hurt. Everybody's walking around with some kind of crack in their vase. People, you don't give people the past to come along and shatter that a little bit, a little bit deeper. We, we don't give people passes on that. You should be at the stage in life that you're like, look, either we're going to help, you know, mend each other or you're going to have to go ahead and excuse me because I can't be a part of this. And it has to be that real. You have to start looking at people like you either are going to continue to break me or you're going to help mend me. And that should be the reciprocation of the relationship. Hands up in the air, surrender style, vulnerability, compromise. I'm not here to break no, no other parts of you. I understand that people's hearts are fragile. I understand that people's egos are fragile. I'm understanding the fragility of all things humanity. But at this point, you need to start looking at actions on all things encompassing people and be able to identify early before you give your most sensitive organ and say, do you have the potential to mend me or are you here to go ahead and do what everybody else did? And it's okay if you come across some people that you're like, ah, I have big dreams for you. But it should not be a, I'm going to continue this process of trying to see, you know, if it would change. If people are showing you, A, no, they never took this class to be able to pass it enough to show you a score that makes you feel like they're graduation ready. You see what I'm saying? Or B, just get to a place that you like, you know what, you can practice, but not with my heart. Absolutely not. You can go into the field of life. I'm just not going to be your sparring partner at all. Excuse me, sir. Have a nice day. And looking at these two extreme parallels on the spiritual realm with Peter and Jesus and Peter denying Jesus and then looking at this show and looking at how Matt did Amber, there were times that her friends and things were saying, you don't have to continue this process. And she just kept saying, I want to make it work. I want to make it work. You know, I, 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 I look so much into this marriage and it was like, at some point, you have to admit this person is not ready for this next stage. And thank God that the only time Peter denied Jesus was that one time. After that, G Peter did what he needed to do. You know what I'm saying? He super redeemed himself. Shouts out to him all the way through. But are we giving people the opportunity to redeem themselves or are we giving people the opportunity again to spar in a sensitive area of our lives that can that can continue to break we don't need domino effects in our souls anymore we're not I'm not interested in that so looking at your own life are you looking at relationships and like I'm gonna give him or her the umpteen chance again really no no we're not doing that we're not doing it at all. Are you bouncing from job to job? And it's just like, listen, look, can, can I just go ahead and put my knee, my hand on your knee to show you how serious this conversation is? You are going to be irritated by people at your job. Irritation is not the, shouldn't be the catalyst that makes you say, I'm going to go ahead and look for something else. That shouldn't be the catalyst. You need practice to follow through, to get to the other side, to get a test score high enough to show that you are ready for graduation. Or else the way that life goes is you will repeat the process again. And we really don't want to repeat the process because it's painful. 
I don't care how many kids you have, birthing another one is painful. I don't care how many tests you take, you always get that little pre-jitter like, mm, okay. It don't, it don't matter if you're taking a test at, at work or taking a test in elementary school. The, the testing stage, it still feels like gulp, the big gulp. You see what I'm saying? Where are you practicing? No, I'm going to follow through for your own personal development and growth. And where are you being a great analyzer of those people in your circle that you're able to identify as early as possible? Hmm, you actually are approaching me with a hammer and I actually needed you to approach me with Band-Aids because hammer actions show I am reckless with what I say and what I do. And if you are close in my vicinity, then you're going to get shattered as well. It don't matter if it's you or someone else. The state that that person is currently in, I call the hammer stage. And that shows you are too damaging to be that close to something that is precious to me. Whether it's my ear me listening to things, whether it's my heart, me receiving you a certain way, the hammer actions, you need to go ahead and push a little bit to the side and say, I can't think, I'm not going to be able to do it, but thank you. Hammer hammer actions are really different from Band-Aid actions. Band-Aid actions show I may make mistakes, but honestly, if you... (laughs) I don't have no more tricks up my sleeve. And the only thing that I have in my, my hand is this Band-Aid. Whether I use it on myself or I use it on you, but I'm safe enough for you to approach and get close to. In whatever realm that that's in, whether it's a job or friendship or building relationships or repairing relationships, you need to be able to see enough Band-Aid actions that you, that you are able to convince yourself that I trust getting a little bit closer. I trust getting a little bit more vulnerable. And I trust this person with the next stage of my life, whatever that may be. Praise God that God is the beginning and the end. And he knew that that was going to be the only time that Peter denied Jesus. And he knew that Peter needed that experience to go check himself and say, oh my gosh, did I just do that? And be able to have something in his heart that says, never again will I ever. Never again will I ever. Because prior to that moment, Peter was able to do whatever as long as Jesus was with him. But what was needed inside of Peter is I need that same tenacity even when Jesus is not with you or near you for that particular sake. So taking that same aspect, that same, you know what? I love the fact that Peter is a success story, that he was able to take a moment of, man, I messed up. And not I messed up because of a heart condition, as I stated, but messed up because it was a new level for him. Peter never had to really walk that out. It was new to him. But did he learn from it? Absolutely. So where can we take that in our lives? Either personally with ourselves or how we handle other people. My challenge to you is look for the Peter moments where people, even if they make a mistake, they're able to go back to the lab and not repeat that mistake. That even if they do something that sounds hurtful, that you can still see the heart of the matter and say, no, but I know that you actually feel this way. Not because of my own emotion, but because I, I see a life walked out that looks different. Yeah, you may have relapsed that one time, 
But you know what? You've been clean for such and such years. Yeah, you may have said that one hurtful thing during that argument, but you know what? That argument was a, it was the perfect storm to say something crazy. You were sleepy, you were drinking, you were whatever the circumstance or, or inclement weather externally was. I, I could see how you went ahead and slipped out a few hurtful things and a few hurtful jabs. But you know what? I know that that's not your nature. That hasn't always been the way that you've spoken to me. And you know what? After this, I believe in my heart because of how remorseful you look, that you say that you're remorseful and that you show that this is probably going to be the last time that, that you go ahead and implant me into this place of pain. Remorse is huge when it comes to will you change? Because we're not looking for people to be perfect. Jesus already walked that out for us. We're looking for people who actually want to be better than what they were. And so I wanted to pick up this phone again and just pull from the spiritual aspect of Peter and Jesus and then the natural realm of just looking at that show and going, oh, my gosh, this guy didn't show any remorse. If you were to see the reunion show for Married at First Sight with Matt and Amber, you would be like, what is the problem? Super cold to her. She was even like crying and kind of like reliving stuff. And he was just like, bro, I'm only here because they paid me to come here. Like that was his demeanor. Nothing remorseful at all. So if you came on this phone call just kind of like in the back of your your heart and your head kind of wondering like, well, what are the steps? What's the surefire way that I would know that someone is, that it won't happen again? Like, what do you do? And what it really is, is the key of it all, the component that always reigns true is remorse. Remorse and being close to someone enough that you know that is not the true contents of your heart. Because Jesus was able to look at Peter and go, sir, that rooster is going to crow three times. You're going to go ahead and deny me. But P but Jesus was near Peter for three years to know. But I know that's not your heart. I just know that's going to be real tough for you to be away from me and be by yourself. I, it's going to be real tough for you to be outside of your comfort level. That security blanket is going to get snatched. And you know what? I can't even blame you because you're human form. But been around you three years, sir. And I know your heart contents. And I can go ahead and tell you where you're about to mess up and have this assurance that you won't do it again. There is something so powerful behind that. Do you, do you see where I'm going with that? And I really do feel like you got exactly what you needed. You got exactly what you needed. Remorse, it goes a long way. And it's just, and it's not a, it's not a performance. It's not, a, oh my goodness. It's, did you get close enough to that person to be assured that this won't happen again? Did that person walk out different forms of what they're showing you in this remorseful state do you really because you know being a parent you see it you know you you messed up a couple of times in situations and was like wow I really messed up on that job task I really dropped the ball and that wasn't my intent like when I said such and so I didn't want her to I know it sound like that but that's not what I you see what I'm saying but I feel like you got what you needed I don't want to add anything else to that. I feel like you got exactly what you needed. And you know what these conversations are. They are life 
thought-provoking conversations, conversations that you're like, you know what? I needed that. I needed that because I was wrestling with something. Or you may go ahead and want to hold on to the things that's being said and watch in a few weeks. You're like, you know what? <laughs> Just had a conversation with my favorite homegirl about this same exact thing. I was ready for this. Thank you, Lord, for letting me have that conversation. And now I know how to look at this through a different lens. Okay? But as my good, good nanny says, all right, I ain't going to hold you. You know what needs to be done. <laughs> Later. <laughs>